Hello everybody and welcome into episode number 363 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We're reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today and it's going to be a bit of a different episode. Our focus is on a eulogy for Frank M. Barker, my first pastor and a tremendous influence on my life and how death is overcome and swallowed up by resurrection. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We do have a website. It's Bible2021.com. That's Bible2021.com. Every day we read the Word of God and we discuss it, and we just finished yesterday reading through the New Testament. Way to go if you have been with us from the beginning of the year. Now, for the last three days of this year, we're going to be revisiting three of the most important chapters in the Bible, beginning today with the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15. There is only one chapter in the entire New Testament that mentions death more than 1 Corinthians 15 does, and that's Romans 15. Six And why does the resurrection chapter talk about death so much? Well, I guess because we can't fully appreciate the great wonder that is the resurrection of Jesus without facing the terrible horror of death. As Paul notes here, death is most certainly an enemy, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 26. The last enemy to be abolished is death, and it is an enemy that steals, kills, and destroys. And as Hebrews tells us, it is Satan himself who has the power of death under the sovereignty of God. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 says, Since therefore the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same thing, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Well, I'm thinking about death a lot over the past day because a man who has been massively influential in my life, Reverend Frank M. Barker Jr., who was my first pastor that I actually remember, has died. My family began going to Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama in approximately 1980, when I was only eight years old and like in second grade. It was a large church at the time, located just off of Highway 280 in the Cobb Heights area of Birmingham, but like most churches, it didn't begin as a large church in a nice building, and perhaps unlike most pastors, at least in the South, Frank Barker Jr. did not come to Jesus early in his life. Reverend Barker was raised in a Christian household, but he didn't live his young life as a Christian, as he was pretty wild by his own description, and he had a tendency to drink too much and even drink and drive quite a bit. Shortly after college, he became a pilot in the United States Navy, and he was stationed at the Naval Air Station in Pensacola. And on one particular off weekend in the 1950s, he came home to Birmingham, where he had a wild weekend with his friends by his description description, and on his return to the naval base, on his way, something really remarkable happened. You know, the kind of thing that would happen in a corny Christian movie, except it literally happened. On his way back to Pensacola, he fell asleep at the wheel. The road curved, and his car went straight, and he basically sped off the road into a rutted-out dirt road, and when he finally got the car stopped, the headlights picked up a sign in front of him nailed to a tree that had the first half of Romans 6.23 on it. The wages of sin is death. 
Well, in his own words, he said, I thought, you know what? I think God is trying to tell me something. Yeah, right? He says, I started trying to straighten up. I felt I'd been so bad that if I was going to get to heaven, I was going to need to be a preacher. Well, he started after that living a moral life, and he began to care a lot more about the things of God. As I said, he was raised in a Christian household, but he wasn't saved by this experience. In fact, uh, in his own words, the uh, fear of God he got from almost running uh, into a tree there, it lasted about a week, and then the first real temptation in his life came along, and he succumbed to it. Well, he oscillated back and forth between living for God and going back to his lifestyle of partying. But, he, you know, he was religious. He wanted to please God, but he really had no idea what the good news or the gospel of Jesus was at that point. He was a fighter pilot in the Navy, and a few months after this, he was serving on board an aircraft carrier. Every night before bed, he would pray but he would kind of pray like the same exact rote or ritualized prayer. He would say, God bless mom and daddy, sister and Wiley and the dog. Forgive me for doing all these things and help me to be different. Well, every night he'd pray that prayer. But one particular night, he got to the end of the prayer and he said, when he said, God help me to be different, he sort of had the sense that God was really intently listening and moving on him at the very last part about of that prayer when he said, God help me to be different. Reverend Barker sensed that God was offering to answer that prayer if it was meant sincerely. And it dawned on Barker that, he had been living a life of actively resisting God, and after this prayer encounter, his life began to change. Ultimately, he enrolled in seminary at Columbia Theological Seminary, and he even started preaching at a church in Alabama. One year in, in other words, he was in seminary, had been preaching for a year, he knew something was wrong. He was the preacher, but he wasn't actually sure how to be a Christian. He'd read John 3.36 in the Bible, which says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but he didn't actually know what it meant to believe in Jesus or how to believe in Jesus. Well, what do you do when you're a pastor in that sort of situation? For him, he found a friend who was an Air Force chaplain, and he asked him, how can I know if I'm really a Christian? The chaplain didn't give him much of an answer, but he did give him a tract and told him to receive salvation as a gift. Now, Barker was a seminary guy. He was taken aback and told the chaplain, look, God's not going to just give this thing of salvation away. You've got to work for it. And as he was wrestling through this, he was, over the next few days, struck by a couple of verses in his Bible. One, Romans 6.23, we've already heard about, the wages of sin is death. But the second half of that verse says, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And he was also struck by Ephesians 2.8-9, which says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. So he realized that salvation really was a gift, and it was by grace through faith, not by working for it. And I want to read you a paragraph or two from Frank Barker's own testimony, and I transcribed this from an audio he recorded many years ago along with his wife, but it really struck me as fascinating about this part of his salvation journey. He says, I began to realize that I'd come to seminary because God wanted me to, but also because I'd been so bad that if I was ever going to get to heaven, I'm going to have to be a preacher or a missionary. 
I was trying to earn my way to heaven. At that point, I put my trust in Christ alone, and my life began to change even more dramatically, and the Bible became a new book to me. And my next thought was, isn't it strange that nobody ever told me that salvation was a gift? And my next thought after that was, isn't it strange that Martin Luther didn't know about this? That Luther didn't know about justification by faith alone. The reason I said that is because I had just finished reading his commentary on the book of Galatians and I took a test on it and made an A on it. I said, if Luther had known that, he would have brought it out in his commentary. Now, some of you are laughing now because you know what Martin Luther thinks about salvation by grace through faith. But Barker continues, I went back and read the commentary again. It was on every page, and I'd underlined it and started and never seen it. And I said, this is incredible. I must have been blind when I read that book. Exactly. And people had told me, but you have to have your ears open and your eyes open. And Barker says that accomplished two things for me. Number one, it made me a Calvinist. And number two, it gave me an insight that there were many folks in the church, even church leaders, who were like I was, who had simply missed one of the two keys of being a real Christian. You can miss it in one or two places. You cannot surrender your will to the Lord, or you can fail to put your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Wow, that's great testimony. I've got a link to the MP3 on our website at Bible2021.com if you want to check it out. As he says, he says, I totally missed that salvation was about grace. After that, I surrendered my will and transferred my trust from me to Christ. And when I did that, life began to change dramatically. Pastor Tim Keller, whom you've heard me mention many, many dozens of times on this podcast, was friends with Frank Barker and familiar with this part of his testimony. And one time preaching about it, he says, quoting Frank Barker, he he had said, on every page, I had it underlined. I had it highlighted. There was on every page the gospel, and I hadn't seen it. It made no difference to me. I didn't get it. The penny didn't drop. It didn't make a bit of a difference. Now it means everything. It has brought my whole life together. It's changed everything. Everybody says, what happened to you? And I say, I was born again. Now, that was the beginning of a life of incredibly fruitful ministry for Frank Barker. He wanted to stay in seminary at the time, which was, I think, 1960, and pursue a PhD. But the Presbyterian Church in Birmingham asked him to plant a church in Cahaba Heights, an unincorporated suburban area of Birmingham, Alabama, the place I consider my childhood home. Barker initially refused, but when they persisted, he agreed to help again, but only for a summer. And this was uh, June of 1960. The first service at Briarwood ever had was June 5th, 1960, and it was just in a humble storefront in Cahaba Heights. Seventy people came, though, and three years later, the church had grown significantly and opened its own location on Highway 280, where the first ever meeting of the Presbyterian Church in America. America was held. I think that was in uh, 1973. And my family started attending church there right around 1980. And, and there was a school there too. And I went to elementary school there for several years. So did my sister Channing. By the time we came to Briarwood, it was well on its way to becoming a mega church. In fact, it was probably a mega church at the time in the 80s for that age. And it was one of the largest churches in Birmingham. 
It had a nice building. It was located in one of the nicest parts of town. And a lot of very wealthy people in Birmingham called Briarwood their home church. But the thing about Frank Parker is he wasn't flashy, flashy at all. He wasn't super charismatic. He was honestly not the kind of preacher that most well-to-do people usually kind of flock to. The thing I remember most about Barker was his humility and his commitment to God's word. He taught me to appreciate the word of God. And he taught me to value God's word. And he taught us, the whole church, that God's word was reliable, that it was inerrant and it was trustworthy. And you know what? His life was an emphasis on those truths. He he wasn't a great preacher in the oratory sense. And I'm not saying that as like a slam. Even as his own daughter uh, Peggy says the same thing. She says, my father was not a dynamic orator by any means. He'd shuffle up to the pulpit and say, uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 John 3, and then he would quietly read it and start preaching. There was nothing dynamic or big about it. And you know what? She's absolutely right. As a kid, I would struggle to listen to sermons, and I had a healthy dose of ADHD, maybe an unhealthy dose of ADHD, and my parents, just to keep me still in church, would let me read Hardy Boys books and Instead of listening, something the school librarian, Mrs. Razik, did not really approve of. And yet, I did sometimes listen from time to time. And uh, Reverend Barker also taught taught our kids Bible classes in Vacation Bible School. He led us in singing, taught us the Word of God, and man, I just loved him for it. He was always kind and good to me and my family. I never heard anybody say a cross word about him. There was no scandal, not even a hint of it. He was everything a pastor should be in my eyes, and I am eternally grateful for that man. Now, for whatever reason, when we were in high school, uh, when I was in high school, my parents left Briarwood and went to another church, a Baptist church. It was as big or it was a mega church, uh, but I didn't like it quite as much, mostly because the pastor was so different. Honestly, he was probably a better speaker, a little bit more energetic and all that, but I don't know. Something was different. I really missed the humble spirit of Dr. Barker. At some point in college, I believe, uh, years after we left the church, I went through a rocky time spiritually. I don't even remember what it was about. Maybe doubt or something else. Um, but uh, my dad wanted me to talk to a pastor. And rather than uh, talk to the pastor of the church we were going to at the time or um, another church we had been to, my dad asked Reverend Barker if he would see me. And at that time in the early to mid 90s, like Briarwood had grown massive, like four, 5,000 members, something like that. And yet Reverend Barker somehow made the time to meet with me personally and he counseled me and he genuinely helped me. And I never got the idea that I was a bother to him or taking up his time or whatever. I remember the main thing he did at the beginning of that meeting. He prayed for me and I'm quite certain God heard and answered that prayer. He was a man of prayer and not in a flashy sort of look at me, I'm praying sort of way, but in a humble, we must depend entirely on God sort of way. Man, we need more pastors in the church like Frank Barker. One of my favorite preacher writers is a guy named Dr. Brian Chappelle. He wrote a great story about Reverend Barker a few years ago. 
a story that kind of reminds me about my own. Dr. Chappelle says, one of the most important events in my life occurred when I went to visit Frank Barker, the senior pastor of a very large church, to ask his advice about a leadership issue. During our lunch in a crowded restaurant, I asked him my question. He started to answer and then stopped himself. You know, he said, this is an important issue. Before we talk about it, we need to pray about it. And right there in the restaurant, in a way that broke into our routine and turned attention away from himself, the pastor with great gifts prayed for God's help before answering my question. I try to remember his words often. Before we talk about it, we need to pray about it. Man, what a great testimony. Now, Frank Barker was 89 when he died, one month shy of his 90th birthday. I understand from my old coach at Briarwood when I was in elementary school, Coach Jeff Young, that Reverend Barker, for the last years of his life, was actively leading five different Bible studies, three of whom were at 6 a.m., and he was in his late 80s. He was visiting hospitals. He was teaching three different Old Testament courses at Birmingham Theological Seminary, uh, a seminary I think he founded. And he also was performing weddings and funerals and praying for the sick regularly and having like prayer for the sick services and doing all this other stuff, like retired in his late 80s. What a mighty man of God, as Coach Young says of him, He was also fair, courageous, and steady in his dealings with the culture surrounding him. He never played church politics, and he wasn't influenced by the wrong crowd. During the early years of the civil rights struggles, you know, this was in Birmingham, he was an unbiased leader for right even when some people didn't like it. He was like Brother Brian in the early years of Birmingham, patterning a lot of his personal and prayer life and ministry after the life of Jesus, just like Brother Brian had. Well, I want to close out this, I know, unusual podcast with the words of Chris Thompson, who was another mentor to me. He was my first youth pastor, a junior high youth pastor to me in the mid-1980s, who is still on staff at Briarwood to this day, like 40 years later. Uh, Chris said this about Reverend Barker. As he was for so many people, he was my spiritual father. I'm sitting at my desk in my home office looking at a framed picture of Frank and Barbara Barker with incredible memories, empty longings, and an unexplainable joy as I know his soul is in the presence of his father. Frank was a man of humility and meekness. I cherish the countless hours that we spent in prayer together and the unbelievable wisdom he gave to many and myself. Well, Reverend Barker is gone from this earth for now, but death does not have the final word on his life. Oh, no. As Paul says in our chapter today, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go ahead and read our chapter. It is 1 Corinthians 15. It's a long one, but it's an amazing chapter. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved 
if you hold to the message I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over five hundred brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep." Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, is raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been our, been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. Moreover, we are found to be false witnesses about God because we've testified wrongly about God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we've put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. But as it is... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For just as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, afterwards at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, when he abolishes all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Now when it says everything is put under him, it is obvious that he who puts everything under him is the exception. When everything is subject to Christ, then the Son himself will also be subject to the one who subjected everything to him so that God God may be all in all. Otherwise, what will they do who are being baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, then why are people baptized for them? Why are we in danger every hour? I face death every day, as surely as I may boast about you, brothers and sisters, in Christ our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus as a mere man, what good did that do for me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Come to your senses and stop sinning, for some people are ignorant about God. I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you're not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Not all flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. 
sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Amen. Well, friends, let's close with our Bible memory passage for the month of December. It's Revelation 5.12, and it says, They said with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Amen. Thanks be to God. He is worthy. And thank you, Lord, for the life of Reverend Frank Barker, a mighty man of God. Good day to you, friends, and Godspeed.